0: Good morning, Storyline, and thank you for joining us online. Unfortunately, we were rained out, again, only the second time since we've been coming outside. But uh, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, There's an ancient Chinese proverb that goes like this, A fish can't see water until he's pulled out of it. And that's so true, isn't it? I mean, it's obvious you're totally surrounded by the water and you can't see it until you're actually out of it. And I think this is one of the great blessings of living in a time of incredible and at times disturbing change like we are now. There are things that we took for granted um, in life, you know, like a fish does water that we aren't now any longer. And uh, if you're over 40, one of those things is definitely this idea that America is this thoroughly Christian nation. Uh, Much of our history and our institutions and values grew directly out of the Christian tradition and it's now well established, I don't think anybody's really debating, that as a nation we're being pulled out of that water. Now Storyline began more than 15 years ago because we saw the changing tide in our culture and started asking some hard questions and finding some surprising answers when it came to what is exactly going on. And one of the first things that we discovered is that the Christian church in America, beginning at the end of the 1900s, was in decline, and not just in numbers, but also in influence. Storyline was born in that, really because of that context. Something about the church and the modern world just weren't working. They weren't coming together in a way like they used to. Now, I'm going to spend most of our time together this morning before we close at the end with a short reflection on our next section in Luke. We're gonna spend most of our time this morning discussing some hard truths about the North American church. And I do this because, and only because, I care deeply about it. We care deeply about the North American church. None of what I'm going to say should be construed as an indictment uh, against any denomination or certainly against any particular church. And certainly none of it is meant as some kind of endorsement of storyline as if we get it or we've somehow arrived. Not at all, storyline has a very long way to go. We're constantly in discovery mode. We make lots of mistakes, we have so much to learn and that includes me and frankly, it begins with me. But when we began facing some of these hard truths and asking tough questions, I had more than one pastor tell me, and some of them with quite a bit of passion, that I was being an alarmist, that things are not as bad as I was making them out to be. Well, no one's disagreeing now. The stats are in and they keep coming in and year after year, they keep getting worse. The North American church is in a severe, decline. It is shrinking and it is wrinkling. It's getting smaller and older fast with no reason to believe that the trend is going to do anything but to continue and accelerate. More and more churches are failing and when new churches do begin they tend to be going after this shrinking pool of people who already consider themselves Christian and often with a mission of how do we get our nation back into the water of cultural Christendom uh, or cultural Christianity, you know, where, where, we feel safe and comfortable. Now, as scary as this is for some of us, it's also an opportunity. See, for the first time in a very long time, in a very long time, to be a follower of Jesus means you are fish out of water. And that means if we'll look, we can see the water. We can take a fresh look at Jesus in his way, the movement and mission he began, and if, as a fish out of water, we'll look, we can also see like the lay of the land and just who is out of the water and maybe even why. Now, if our goal is to reestablish cultural Christianity in America, the way it's existed for the last 200 plus years, We have reason to despair, the news isn't good. But if our mission is to see people come to trust in the grace of God, I believe we're living in an incredible time. We have an amazing opportunity to see the water and the lay of the land, and then live in and live out the grace of God in fresh and compelling ways. Not unlike Jesus and his first followers had to do when it all began. Facing these hard and seeing this as an opportunity has led Storyline to ask some, I think, pretty unique questions. Like, did Jesus, the ultimate fish out of water, know what he was doing? Does he know how to help people find faith and form faith in the grace of God? And to read his story asking a question like that, like, how did Jesus do church? And what was his community all about makes so much of the Bible just jump off the page. The last three weeks we have been in the chapter 5 of Luke's biography of Jesus. And we said that Luke is an outsider writing Jesus' story to outsiders. And we've seen Jesus psychologically write our relationship with ourselves, and then sociologically write our relationship with others. And there's this common theme here as Jesus creates his first community of believers and followers. And it's a hard and it's a challenging theme. And at first it doesn't feel like or sound like good news, but nonetheless, this is the theme. It's not about you. That's the theme, it's not about you. When we looked two weeks ago at Peter on that beach, a fisherman who just had his wildest dreams come true, by catching so many fish, his boat was overflowing. We see Peter realizing, even if I get everything I want out of life, it's only going to sink my boat. So when Jesus said, follow me, and from now on you'll fish for people, we get a clue to what Jesus is trying to do. And then last week we saw Jesus touch a man with leprosy and by doing so, making himself unclean. Jesus purposely places grace on the wrong side, according to religion, of this divine divide between who is in and who is out, who's worthy and decent and good enough and who isn't. And this totally upends the way that we see one another He's showing his first followers what it looks like to fish for people. You see, for Jesus, the abundant life that he came here to give to us, this promise, it it isn't about us, ironically, and and our usual concerns like, when do we get fed or when do we get taken care of? What's gonna fill my boat or even Like, who's clean and who's unclean? Who's good enough to be in? And and who do we need to make sure stays out of our community? These are revolutionary changes in how to see ourselves and others as we form a community of faith in God's grace. Jesus is pulling his followers out of the cultural norms, out of the water, if you will, that they know to expose the harsh reality of the me first life. It's like he's saying, there are not enough fish in the sea. There are no boats big enough. There are no groups clean enough or good enough to ever satisfy you. The life you've always wanted isn't about you. Now that's hard for me. I'm just gonna be honest. I'm not gonna lie. That that isn't something that I jump with joy for when I hear it. Certainly as an American consumer, to be told this isn't about you makes it even harder. Tragically, many are now making the case that the North American church has fallen into this, fallen into this way of making church about us, about those who are already in it and what works for me. You know, when I, how do I get fed in this setting and how do, how do we keep the wrong people out Who are they and how do we find them and get them out? A couple of years ago, I was interviewed for a Netflix documentary and it hasn't been released yet and I don't know if it ever will be. I kind of hope not because I was having a really bad hair day. But this documentary is about the state of the North American church and specifically about something called the prosperity gospel, which is a theological premise that basically says If you believe the right way and you believe strong enough, God will reward you with material wealth. And one of the things that I objected to in that interview is I told them that they were defining the prosperity gospel way too narrowly because there are lots of American churchgoers who would object to the prosperity gospel. Like, it's ridiculous. God doesn't do that. He doesn't reward believers with money. But If you ask those same people, does God reward those who believe rightly and strongly with success, with blessings, however you define it? Many would say, yes. And my point was, and is, that's just a more sophisticated form of the prosperity gospel, which is all about me. And it may appear to work, actually, for long periods of time, especially when the tide and the currents of a culture are in your favor. But what if they're not? I mean, just consider Jesus. The Bible says he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, how did his perfect faith work out for him? Now, look, I'm not suggesting that living by faith in the grace of God isn't the best way to live. I believe it is, and I try to make that case every week. Yet sometimes life is hard difficult, complicated, and tragic, even if we believe. And sometimes life is that way because we believe. And Jesus's perfect faith is the perfect example of that. And so this is what we hold in storyline so very dearly in our hearts. And I told the filmmakers this, what's missing from the North American church is not prosperity, by any way you measure it. That's not why the church is in decline. We have more and better theological training, more Bibles and more Bible studies. We have total safety, absolute freedom. We're not lacking for buildings or clergy or praise bands. For goodness sakes, no church has ever sung more than the American church. And God knows the American church has plenty of money. We have all of that like no church has ever had in the history of the world, yet, we're in this steep decline. Why? Well, maybe it's because what's missing is the mission. What, what is missing is God's broken heart for people. Somehow, in the water of Christendom, when, when the culture favored and supported Christianity, the mission of the church kind of became the church, like those already in it. But as it turns out, and as we see this so clearly in the life of Jesus and his first followers, their community existed for the sake of the mission. And their mission wasn't their community. The early church existed for the sake of those who weren't a part of it. And and do you know what that created? An amazing community. I mean, think about it. Think about the best times of community and togetherness and belonging that you've ever experienced in your life. The closest they've ever felt to a group of people. I can almost guarantee you that it's, you were on some kind of mission together. Maybe your high school teammates or your college roommates and everyone's studying together and trying to get through college or folks that you volunteer with at an organization that you love. Communities that are dedicated to just themselves, to community for the sake of community tend not to be great communities, but a group of people dedicated to a mission that isn't about them form incredible communities along the way. And this is why we say the best church for you is the church that isn't for you. Several times a month I'm approached by people who want to know more about Storyline and almost inevitably they begin to ask me about like what we can do for them. They ask questions like, you know, we're looking for a church that does X, Y, and Z for us. And and I get it. I get why they're asking those questions and and I get why they think churches are supposed to offer all those things. But we don't. And I have to tell them that that's not what we're about. Storyline really doesn't exist to serve you, at least not in that way. We exist to inspire and equip one another to serve and love others, to take on God's broken heart for his children everywhere, every day. We believe that is what church is for. It sure does look like that to us. That is how Jesus formed community. And being on that mission together is how he helped people to find and form faith and create this deep sense of belonging and belovedness. When Jesus writes our relationship with others and ourselves by insisting, it's not about you. He isn't asking us to be a martyr. That is his invitation into the abundant life. Yet, when we look at where the North American church tends to spend its time and its talent and its treasure, something else emerges. N.T. Wright is one of my favorite writers. He's a world famous and highly regarded British theologian. And he described it this way. When I first came to America, it was clear to me, the church worships buildings, the Bible, and singing. But the mission is missing. Now, there's nothing wrong with buildings and Bibles and singing, but apparently when the cultural uh, currents shift and following Jesus falls out of favor, buildings, Bibles, and singing just aren't enough. This really isn't a foreign concept to us, like the best thing being for us is when things aren't about us. I know it seems anti-intuitive, but it's really not foreign. We've all heard of it or we've maybe even known a military service member describe their time in war, in foxholes, exposed to the elements, constantly in danger, terrible, horrible conditions. And they reflect on those times with like nostalgia as the most meaningful times in their life. And then they come home where it's safe and warm and where they're well fed and, and comfortable and they struggle desperately. When psychologists do regression studies, searching for what really makes us feel alive, comfort, pleasure, ease, don't even show up. Do you know what does? Belonging to a community on a critical mission for something bigger than yourself. That, by the way, is how and why Jesus created the church. Not long ago, my friend Michael Brooks and I were talking and he told me, he said something I thought was really incredible. He said, the church doesn't know what to do with me. Michael is an artist and he writes just beautiful music and had we not been rained out this morning, we had invited him down from Holland to sing three of his original songs and um, they're just amazing. But I'm not surprised that the church struggles with what to do with someone like him because his music is it's deeply poetic it's it's a mystery and there's a wonder to it and an openness and vulnerability and honesty michael asks questions you're not supposed to and he suggests no easy answers his music is not made to make the fish feel comfortable to be consumed just by insiders it's meant to challenge insiders and cultivate a yearning for those who are disconnected from God, he's pushing us to see the water and to see the lay of the land and join Jesus on that critical mission.
1: Songs you sang from my shoulder, imbued the faith I could fly, and him so lovely stole the sky in a nest made of. They awaken my arms And false precepts Eclipsed by skin Silence Out of the night You're down in your palm. I'm For words and consternation, it feeds.
0: just love that song. We recorded that earlier during the pandemic and I was actually gonna feature it this morning and right in that part of my talk and so really thankful that we recorded that before. But it's hauntingly beautiful song and I love these lines. False precepts eclipsed by skin silence the alarms within. Not all doves are mourning doves. Even ravens can grasp love. Not all darkness ends in plight, Oh God of the night. It reminds me of a verse my friend Dr. Mike sent me this week. Engaged in God's mission, this was true for Jesus's first followers. We rejoice in sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance character and character hope. This was written to people that they weren't fighting to make their own lives comfortable or or looking for a church that meets their needs. It wasn't written to a community trying to reestablish their religion as some cultural power. It was written to people finding their lives by giving them away. To a community committed to loving, to fishing for people. When we read the Bible asking the question, How did Jesus form community, his church? How did he help people to find faith? How did he help people to form and deepen their faith? What we find, and we've seen it in Luke chapter five again, is this strong theme. The abundant life is not about you. It sounds so anti-intuitive, I know. In fact, one of Jesus' followers, understanding that it just sounds so backwards and upside down to us, described it this way. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the strong. Now all of this begs the question, what are we fishing for? If our life, if our lives together is about filling our boat, if it's about making sure that we're clean and wise and strong and creating churches that meet our needs, if so, that kind of success It's only going to sink our boat. Maybe the North American church is shrinking and wrinkling, not because of some cultural shift or media bias or the lack of political power. Maybe it's shrinking and wrinkling because the mission is missing. The Bishop Desmond Tutu once said, American Christianity is way more American than it is Christian. And he wasn't bashing America. He was reminding us of who we could be, all of this, the total psychological and sociological transformation of Jesus's first followers to form the first church, the first community on a mission for others, leads us to one brief and surprising thing to notice from our story in Luke today, which is what we'll close with here briefly. This is Jesus reorienting, revolutionizing. He's writing our relationship with God. In chapter five, verses 17 through 26, four friends bring a paralyzed man, carrying him on a mat, to be healed by Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying, friend, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) And the religious leaders were furious. His friends were confused because only God can forgive sins. And this guy wasn't here to have his sins forgiven. So Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, were to say, get up and walk. And so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he did. Notice Jesus is forgiving a man who isn't there to be forgiven. He's there to be healed. And it wasn't the paralyzed man's faith that healed him because the Bible doesn't mention if he had any faith at all. It wasn't the paralyzed man's repentance that got him forgiven because it doesn't say that he repented. It's like Jesus is saying, even this, even your healing and your forgiveness, it's not about you. Here we see God's grace is on a mission. In fact, I would argue grace is a mission. It is active and seeking. God doesn't wait, arms crossed like scowling, to see if we'll push the right button before he forgives, accepts, and loves. God acts. He doesn't react. God initiates. He doesn't wait. God is already on our side. There are no mantras, there are no uh, to repeat, there are no candles to burn, no rituals to perform on the cross. Jesus said, "It is finished." And he meant it. This is how Jesus can invite us into a right relationship with God. He forgives us before we ask, before we could ever deserve it before we could bring him a boat full enough of all the success that we catch, or be on a boat that's so clean, everybody's just perfect. Because none of that's ever gonna happen. How Jesus accomplishes all this on the cross is something that we'll get to later in Luke. But the bottom line for now is, God is now waiting with open arms. He's not mad at us for almost sinking our boat with selfish success. He's not resentful that we persistently ask, what about me? When do I get fed? And who is dirty and unclean and can't be in here with us? All of those dysfunctional and deadly ways have been absorbed by grace on the cross, by the pure love of God. We began Luke a couple months ago by saying Something Jesus has accomplished changes everything, or it could if we'll let it, including us. And what we've seen the last three weeks is Jesus writing our relationship with ourselves, with one another, and then writing our relationship with Him, with God, by forgiving us first. It's not about us. Thank God. And all of this leaves us with the abundant and life-giving mission of grace. Nothing to accomplish, only to accept. Nothing to earn, only to enjoy. Nothing to fear, only to follow. And nothing to lose, only to love. It's all about God and his mission. Thank God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be together and look forward to being together soon again, hopefully next Sunday on the 4th of July at, at Lincoln Charter Township Park again. Thank you for coming to us, to save, to, for saving us, and for inviting us into an abundant life that begins with recognizing it's not about us. I pray that you break the hardest storyline for those who don't know how much you love them. Make this church about and for those who aren't a part of it. Help us to see that is how and why you formed your church and why that kind of church is the best church for us. And I pray now that as we sign off, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much, folks. Hope to see you soon.